12.05 Saturday afternoon. Dr. Payne show is uh, upon us once again. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. You have pain questions, physical problems. Bring them on. Uh, Dr. Lou here to answer your questions and give you some answers right till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, info at paincarecanada.com through email as well. And uh, Dr. Lou on social. You want to check out all those avenues at your leisure. It is 12.05. We kind of do have a uh, bit of a week that was that when was. we start the show. How was your week, buddy? Could have personally. been better. Th- this one's... Uh, really? This, this week that was is going to be a very personal one. Usually I'm giving you stories about... Uh, patients that I'm seeing, but this one actually happened to me. So you may recall last week I had a bit of a, a neck issue going yep. on. Um, so Friday night, uh, I'm, I get, I, you know, I was at work all day, get home. I actually played around a golf nine holes, get home. I'm sitting there, um, watching TV. I start to feel my left arm go a little bit numb. Yes. So the highlight of this week is numbness and tingling. Feel my left arm going numb. I'm like, okay, could be my neck from Earlier in the week, yep. nothing nothing major there. All of a sudden, my right arm starts going numb. Now I'm a little like, mm, bilateral, um, doesn't really make sense, but whatever, still okay. okay. Then I start feeling it go into my legs, first the right leg, then the left leg. I was still fine at this point because it was still everything in the body, and I'm still thinking, you know, stenosis in the neck or a disc herniation could create symptoms elsewhere. Then I start to get worried because it goes starts going into my the left side of my face uh, and up into my ears. So. Wow. You know, I'm sitting there being my own doctor and I'm thinking, you know, in all these instances, it's like I always say, you got to, you always have to make sure that you rule out the most serious things and then you diagnose the benign. Mm-hmm. So yeah, could stress, disc herniation, could it cause symptoms like this? Of course. Uh, but you know, when, when symptoms progress that quickly over a matter of a few hours, that could be something more serious. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm there with my wife and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe it's better I go get checked out, yeah. go, to, go to the emergency room, let's just make sure. Because my, my reasoning at that point is let's just make sure it's not something that's immediately life-threatening like a stroke. I'm, I'm relatively sure. young, sure. it's relatively unlikely, but you still got to make sure. Uh, so go to the hospital, um, and it, someone that I knew anyways, uh, they end up seeing me ordering a CT scan for my brain just to rule out those things. Blood work and also an ECG uh, of my heart just to make sure. Everything ends up being fine. The moral of the story here, why I wanted to bring up this story is, number one, I had never experienced anything like that. So when I do experience these things, although I don't like experiencing them, it does help me to become a better practitioner because now I know what people are talking about and that's uh, that empathy factor. Um, And so, but the deductive reasoning I thought was very, very important. When I was talking to a colleague of mine uh, the day after and telling him what happened, he said, well, why didn't the hospital check you out for, you know, something like an autoimmune disease or anything like that? And I said, well, because the job of the hospital, the emergency room, is just to make sure it's not life-threatening. So the reason why they did a brain... That's the word emergency. Yeah, cor- correct. And so, you know, could they have done more blood work, like inflammatory markers and things like that, that look for autoimmune things? Yes. But that's not life-threatening. It's not going to kill you within the next 24, 48 hours. Right. And so that's not really their job. So I thought what happened was exactly what should have happened. And the doctor was great. And I didn't prime him uh, to suggest what he should or should not do. He went with his own knowledge. Um, it was a Tobacco General Hospital, great hospital. Um, and sure enough, they got me what I needed. They made sure that I was not in immediate life-threatening uh, situation. I'm still having some of the symptoms that I've been having, so I'll be getting checked up. And we'll use this as a clinical case for ourselves to keep coming back to. But, you know, could be anything. Could be, at this point, it could just be my neck. Could have been stress-related. I've had a bit of a stressful week. Could it be something else that's not picked up on CT scan, like 
you know, multiple sclerosis or ALS things that may need more specific. Sure, it could be unlikely, but that's the the train of thought where you have to go. So you always diagnose the benign after the most serious has been uh, ruled out. And that's kind of the highlight that I wanted to bring to this. And another highlight of this is the fact that you use the system as the way it's supposed to be used. You don't go to the eMERGE when you got a fever and a sore throat, generally. Correct. And, and kids that was and babies a, are different, but for you know. me to want to, this was also 11 o'clock at night for me to want to go, you know, waste my whole night at the emergency room. I I'm doing it because I think it's absolutely necessary. And that's the same role that I take with my patients. I've had patients in my office that, um, you know, I thought were having some type of stroke or heart attack and was an emergency. And I send them over. I don't abuse the system mm-hmm. either for myself, my family, or even my patients. However, when it is needed, it's extremely important that in, in scenarios like this, where you're not sure sure, and it could be life-threatening, you use the system. But you're absolutely right that it does highlight the point of proper uh, healthcare management. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Good afternoon, Elizabeth. How are you? Hi, thank you for taking my call. No worries. Go ahead. Um, I'd like to um, elaborate on um, his conversation about that um, he wanted to take extra precaution by going to the hospital Mm -hmm. in the event they thought it was a stroke. I'm just curious to know, since you are um, a chiropractor and you have doctors on staff, what would have been the treatment if, if in fact, they thought you did have a stroke? So What would have been, been because, you know, you said they did an MRI on your brain, they did the ECG on your heart. What would have been the actual treatment? Sure. And so if it was, um, they did a CAT scan in my brain. So if it was a stroke, there's a couple different types of strokes you can have. Uh, One is a clot that, you know, blocks a a certain vessel and it starts to necrose that area of the brain. Or -hmm. you could have hemorrhaging, which is actually when a vessel ruptures. Those two things are treated very differently. Usually, uh, if it's just a clot, uh, they can give you a clot buster, even aspirin. I'm sure you guys have seen the the commercial where they tell you if you think you're having a heart aspirin, heart attack or stroke, take two aspirins, call 911. That will start to break down clotting. So they just will use some type of medication uh, tailored towards breaking down the clot. And hopefully you get it before the necrosis in that area of the brain is mm-hmm. too far gone. If it's hemorrhaging, that's uh, a lot harder to uh, treat because you're bleeding into your brain and that's usually surgical. So it really depends on one of the two. And that that's what the CT scan helps you identify. Is there uh, some type of uh, infarct going on in the brain? And if so, then it's dealt with accordingly. So that would have okay. been the two options. The reason why I ask you, and I'm, I'm so um, impressed that you know even that side of the medical, because <laughs> I'm very impressed by this. Um, the reason why I ask you is because, okay, so what you're saying is it would probably give you some medication administered by an injection uh, or surgery to remove the clot, Correct. To to remove the hemorrhaging usually right. is this yes yeah right. or injection through like yeah. administered injection. The reason why I ask this is because unfortunately my mother um, didn't get to the hospital on time and she lost her eyesight. Right. Uh, and the, and I don't know if the, it's undetermined. Mm-hmm. And so till today we don't know what happened. And and so that's why I want to know if she had gotten there on time. And I understand there's a four window of, of of an opportunity to get to the hospital. Is it within four hours or an hour or? Well, so here's the thing: once the an area of the brain starts to lose oxygen, things happen mm-hmm. very very quickly. Some some damage could be permanent within a few minutes. My my dad actually had a stroke and uh, ended up, uh, you know, being severely disabled from it. Uh, And so once the brain undergoes necrosis, once neurological tissue, necrosis is cell death, once that happens, there's really 
very limited ways for it to come back. Now, your question about how soon yeah. depends on a lot of things. It also depends on the the actual patient prognostic factors. So, right. you know, your mom may have been a little bit older where I was younger and right. I'm, I'm healthy, no other comorbidity. So all those things uh, matter. But we're going to break. Just hang on and we'll continue this conversation because I think it's a good one. Thanks, Elizabeth, for your call. Yours as well, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Would love to hear from you this afternoon up till 1 o'clock. You want to follow up on the last call? Yeah, so I wanted to continue that conversation where it it does very much depend on uh, what needs to happen. And, you know, the timeline for things like stroke, heart attacks, it's so variable depending on person to person. But relatively speaking, for sure, you can say that when it comes to the brain, uh, even a few minutes of of lack of oxygen uh, can can lead to some very serious damage. The other thing is where the clot is. Uh, So if you have a clot, you know, say in the the area that controls the upper part of your, um, sorry, the frontal cortex where you have more control of your body, uh, this is where people tend to get paralyzed mm-hmm. on one side versus if the stroke is in the brainstem, which likely in that last caller's case with the mom, it was because it affected uh, vision. So depending on the area of the brain too, some areas are more vital towards living and other areas are more vital towards movement and sensory and things like that. So that matters. And the other thing that I wanted to highlight from that call, because she was saying it was interesting that I was a chiropractor and I just want a, a little bit of a tangent here. When, whether you're a chiropractor, a physician, a, a physiotherapist, the diagnostic process is the diagnostic process. We all have to learn that. There's a way that we get to a deductive reasoning on the things that are going on. And there's a reason why chiropractors are doctors. Uh, and, and so it shouldn't be, and it is for whatever reason overall surprising to people, but this should not be surprising. This is the level of knowledge that most healthcare practitioners uh, have, and, and especially when it comes to these types of things that, you know, a medical doctor, their specialty is the medication, the diagnostic component. But the assessment component the diagnos- and the diagnosing component uh, is not unique to any one of those professions. It's something that clinical reasoning that we all have to go through. And, uh, you know, there's some very good physicians and some very bad ones. And there's good chiros, bad chiros, good physios. Uh, but what I realized very quickly in my career was that no one, uh, no one practitioner can do it all. And that's why I've built the team that I've built to, to, to co-manage with a, with a bunch of people. But uh, yeah, so the, the t- going back to her original question, which was uh, the timeline, how quickly can stuff happen with stroke? Could be quick if you're lucky, you know, maybe an hour, two hours, you might still be. The other thing is, like I said, the prognostic factors. Mm-hmm. You usually have a three-month window following a stroke that if you're going to get better, it should happen uh, within that time based on kind of the research that's out there. I think there's still a firm belief, too, that chirals just basically do adjustments on a table. Yeah, yeah, and, still and, yeah exactly. There, right? It's, you know, but uh, things have progressed very, very much. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the examples of that, the the team that I've built and the things that I do. 416-870-6400, star 640 on Sal Mormon. How are you? Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you, man? Yeah, What's hi. up? Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I got this question. I have uh, pretty much the same symptoms he just described for himself. Uh, tingles in the toes, uh, feet, uh, uh, calf muscle, it goes right into my buttocks. But when I walk, you know, when I walk less on it, it hurts as hell. So, um, but to go back, I, I was diagnosed with a spinal stenosis before. So mm-hmm. normally when I feel any pain, right, I just, you know, deal with it right and then mm-hmm. it goes away but this one it's been now like for uh it's going on like for four or five months now and it's just in your lower extremity 
like yeah, your legs? Just on my right, yeah, just yeah. on my right leg. So if you've I mean, you know, right calf, yeah, like, if you've like it, it cramps up all the time. If you've previously been diagnosed with uh, um, with spinal stenosis, then that kind of makes sense that that could be. Uh, the symptoms again. The the important thing here is not to just focus. I don't because I told my story and people are going to hear numbness and tingling and they're going to all think I need right. to go get a CT scan. I took everything into consideration. How quickly the symptoms progressed over a period of time. I have no history of spinal stenosis, anything like that. The fact that the symptoms were in all of my extremities into my face. Th- this is very important, and that's where, in your case, you're telling me you have a, a, an already pre-existing condition, which is spinal stenosis, which over time does tend to get worse um, and your symptoms are localized to the lower half of your body which is where the spinal stenosis is in the lower back so that's making more sense that it is likely related to the spinal stenosis now the next part is how do you treat that Uh, spinal stenosis has a very specific way about going about the treatment Uh, none of it will absolutely reverse anything or make the stenosis better because stenosis is a narrowing of a canal uh, which yeah. is often bony in nature, and, and you can't really do much about it. But there are different things that you can do to manage it so that you can, at the very least, slow down the progression and manage the symptoms in order to figure out what exactly those things are that you should or should not do. There's a, a few things that need to happen. Number one, I would need to assess you to make sure that it is spinal stenosis and that your symptoms are related to the spinal stenosis. Uh, and once we've gone through that assessment process, then a plan of management and treatment can be made specific to that. So that's uh, um, you know, if you're interested, g- give us a call. Come see me or someone in my team, and we can absolutely help you with that. Sure. What? Uh, okay, I'll just call. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Morgan. We'll take a short break again. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. This that simple. Info at paincarecanada.com through email. And simply Dr. Lou on social as well. You want to talk to us today till 1 o'clock. We'd love to hear from you as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It's the Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1223 till 1 o'clock. Taking your calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Hey, Lisa, good uh, good afternoon. How are you? Awesome. Thank you for asking. How are you? Good. What's uh, What's going on with you? Well, my name uh, my name is Lisa, and I visited uh, Dr. Lou with family members in the past. Oh, uh, hey, Lisa, daughter. I remember you. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm sorry to hear you haven't been feeling well this week. No, that's okay. I'm better today. Okay, so I'm actually calling in to speak to your audience today. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm always listening to your show, and I always learn something new, but uh, after having the positive interactions that I had with you recently, I really felt compelled to share my experience with your listeners. Awesome. So uh, just to give everyone a brief history, approximately about... Five months ago, my 32-year-old daughter was having severe pain in the base of both her thumbs, and it came on suddenly. Uh, it quickly developed into her wrists as well, and she was having difficulty with even the slightest tasks, opening jars, doing dishes. Uh, so needless to say, it was interfering with her day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she visited her family doctor, and he suggested that it was potentially carpal tunnel. And uh, she had had that in the past with uh, two of her pregnancies. So uh, she wasn't that surprised to hear that. I know from listening to you that uh, that's often misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. He suggested she get an EMG test to confirm his diagnosis, but every clinic that she called uh, had no available appointments for months. So she decided to pursue a second opinion, and uh, she saw another doctor. He spent very little time assessing her symptoms and suggested that it was also likely carpal tunnel. Uh, so she was becoming very frustrated, needless to say. Mm-hmm. She had two small children and, uh, you know, couldn't 
couldn't help them deal with even the simplest of tasks. Uh, she wasn't convinced that she had the carpal tunnel because the symptoms really didn't mimic what she had had with uh, her, the pregnancies that she had had. She had had carpal and tunnel, pregnancy-induced carpal tunnel, and um, the, pre- the symptoms didn't seem the same. So anyway, in speaking with a, a friend of hers who had had uh, the carpal tunnel, uh, she referred her to a surgeon, and uh, she was able to get an appointment with him. Uh, he was convinced that it was carpal tunnel, and uh, he was so convinced that he didn't even feel it was necessary for her to have the EMG test. And uh, so he performed the surgery, and after the surgery, she still had pain. Uh, it uh, worsened, as a matter of fact, and uh she returned to the surgeon, and he had no idea at that point what her problem was. Uh, she then again went back to her family doctor, and he basically threw up his hands and said that this was going to be her new normal and that she should just go home and live with it. Great. <laughs> now the pain had gotten worse. It was now progressing up the uh, upper part of her arms and into her armpits. And as you uh, uh, referred to earlier in the show, she became uh, increasingly concerned that she had something more severe be it MS or, um, you know, some sort of debilitating illness. So, unfortunately, I had to stand by helplessly and watch her go from a happy, healthy, uh, you know, woman to living in constant pain. Um, She normally has an amazing disposition, and she was just becoming distressed and frantic. And it was around that time that I was listening to one of your shows one Saturday, and I knew I had to get her in to see you. And we live over an hour away in Curtis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember Um, that. Yeah, but I, I knew I had to make the drive out there. And what so happened? I was, well, I got an appointment within a few days, yeah. and, uh, and this is the reason I'm calling in, because Dr. Liu spent a significant amount of time asking my daughter very detailed questions about her present condition, as well as her previous history, to determine if there was like an underlying cause. He put her through a series of physical motions, uh, and then just based on her responses and her limitations, he was successful at diagnosing her with thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, I remember this um, now. Yep, and then uh, he assured her that uh, with an effort to improve her posture and to get uh, you know physical therapy and massage therapy that uh, she would eventually heal. And I'm happy to say that a few months later, she is about 75% recovered. That's awesome. Uh, back to you know all of the same active life that she had in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very quickly, I just want to include that my 91 year old mother has suffered from chronic pain in her leg for approximately six months. And, uh, she had assumed that she had sciatica because she had been diagnosed with that in the past. She had had many appointments with her doctors. They had misdiagnosed her, sent her for several tests, but nobody really took the time to explain the test results to her or what she could potentially do to, right. to help the situation. So again, Dr. Liu took the time to actually sit with her and explain all of the results and uh, what she could do to improve her quality of life. And uh, so I hope that she's on her uh, way to, you know, feeling well soon. But, yeah, and, uh, and we just saw your mom more recently, I a few weeks ago, I think it was. So Yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, again, I can't stress to your callers enough, don't just call in for an over-the-phone diagnosis, no matter how far you live. If you're looking for an accurate assessment, make an appointment. You won't be disappointed because you may not be able to cure everybody, Dr. Liu, but I know you'll help 
them do the very best you can to regain their quality of life. And I have never, ever been to a professional, a doctor of any sort that has taken the time and the care that you took. You are the WD-40 <laughs> of the healthcare world, my friend. Thank You're you, Lisa. fixing everybody. I appreciate that. I swear to God, I cannot say enough about this man. He is compassionate and sensitive and caring. He's amazing. Wow, very Thank nice. Very and much. this was not a plan to call. That that came no, out no, of that, nowhere. That wow, just, look yeah. at you. No, that's uh, that's a, a great call. And uh, yeah, and one thing that she highlighted there, she, her and her family live over an hour away. Right. That doesn't mean that her daughter has been coming for treatment next to me or anything. They actually had somewhere that they knew close to where they lived. I just simply sent a report on what should be done. So that's how simple it is. It's one time. No kidding. One time. Fantastic. Your phone calls 416-870-6400, star 640. On cell phone, you feel like calling in, you got a half hour to do so. Get some answers right here at the Dr. Payne Show. Talk Radio AM 640. 1232, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640. On cell, you have health concerns, pain concerns. Bring them on. Love to talk to you up till uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. What's going on with you? Um, I believe I have um, a foot issue, plantar fasciitis. I work at a job where I stand all day, and we have to wear steel-toed shoes, so it's, you know, it's really starting to bother me. I get up in the morning, and I take four to six steps, and it's actually painful. Right. Um. Not sure where to go from here. I know I've been trying to do the stretching in the past week, and it has helped a bit. Okay. Um, just wondered if there was anything else that Dr. Liu could recommend, maybe a natural approach or... Sure. So, so um, Karen, just a few things. How long ago did this start? About six months. Six months. And it's over six months been getting worse? Worse, yes. And, it, and you do find it is first thing in the morning? Absolutely. And what about as you get moving and going, does the pain cut? Uh, as you get moving and going, it's okay, but I notice maybe like five hours into my shift, I'm starting, it's starting to bother me again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Is it know, one foot or both feet? Both. Both feet. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very much like plantar fasciitis for sure. Uh, I think Lisa in our last call really highlighted uh, that over the phone, it's always hard for me to be certain on what it could or could not be, right? So a lot of things can seem like plantar fasciitis, but maybe something else. Um, it, your your symptoms are characteristic and kind of textbook with plantar fasciitis. So sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. The, having said that, I can't say for sure that it is or isn't. Right. And usually the bigger concern here comes that if I just throw something out that you can do, um, assuming that it's plantar fasciitis and it's not, and you do something, it could actually make your symptoms worse. So have you been checked out at all by anybody? Uh, not at this point. Not no. at this point. So I would say that that's probably your best first bet is is just simply go get checked by a practitioner who knows what they're doing. Um, you know, I'd love it if it was me and, and we can figure it out. And then uh, if you do need some specific type of treatment, then... Uh, you know, you go ahead and do that. The one thing that I guess from a, a recommendation standpoint that I do feel pretty safe on saying over the phone is if you find that it's first thing in the morning, what I want you to start doing is instead of getting up and just boom, going to walk, sit up in your bed and just kind of start moving your foot around, both feet around with your hands, lightly massaging it, just getting the tissue. Because usually what happens in those instances, if it's a, a, extremely painful right away, it's, it's just because you've introduced gravity too quickly and mm-hmm. your foot actually has an arch that's designed to spring. So mm-hmm. if you can kind of warm your foot up in a way that way, kind mm-hmm. it'll, it'll just get that tissue more compliant to when you start to add gravity to it. And that may help to start to alleviate some of the symptoms in the morning. But sure. and, and that would be pretty good no matter what the issue is. 
yeah. but in terms of specific recommendations, step one is we got to figure out if it is uh, plantar fasciitis or could it be something else. The one thing that I will say about plantar fasciitis is because it's so common, it's usually what most people say. I've had yeah. hundreds, if not thousands of patients mm-hmm. that have come in and said they were diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. And I look at it and it's like, no, this is and, you know, a lot of them are very similar, but, you know, again, my biggest thing on why the right diagnosis is so important is because that's what dictates your treatment plan. Uh-huh. And if your diagnosis is wrong, then your uh, treatment is wrong. And so, so a family doctor, like a GP, would be able to determine this or would you have to see a specialist? No, you wouldn't have to see a specialist. But again, it, it's like I, I kind of started the show with saying there's good physicians and there's, you know, if you were to sit here and start talking to me about um you know, blood work and what everything means. I'm not a hematologist, so mm-hmm. that is not my area of expertise. I'm very good at the musculoskeletal system. And so your do- your family doctor may be very good at the musculoskeletal system, or they may not be, and they might get it wrong. So uh, that's usually, uh, uh, it, you, it really is up to the professional to know their limitations so that if, you know, when someone sees me and they start talking about something I'm not well-versed in, I'm just simply honest and I say, right. you know what, I'm not the best to answer this. Let's get yeah. you to someone who is. So hopefully yeah. your family doctor is prudent enough. I, I don't know who it is, so that I, I can't be sure, but, uh, you know, that they're prudent enough to, to look at it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly confident I know what this is, and if I don't, here's where you should be going. Sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, didn't, I just tuned in, so I didn't hear the first of your show, but yeah. Oh, okay. Um, no like problem. a great starting point, and... Yeah. Yeah, like you say, it just makes it makes it frustrating because I do work a lot of hours and my job is standing and for sure. Yeah, so that's there's what you I know do for a living, so yeah. it's like you just kind of want to get it, nip it in the bud before it gets. Yeah, and and you and I see you're calling from Barry, so give us a call off air. Let's connect. Uh, even if you can't come down to see me, I can point you to a clinic. Uh, in the Barry area that will be able to help you out. Karen, that number, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou, D-R-L-O-U. It's one of those things like carpal tunnel, plantar fasciitis, fibromyalgia, these blanket terms everybody gets, and they just stick to them, right? Yeah, and that's the, the unfortunate reality is that when things are very, very common and... Or sciatica, uh, there's another sci- one. Well, sciatica is the most overused yeah. out of them all because yeah. it's so nonspecific. Uh, but, you know, when these things get thrown around, people get set on that's what they have. Right. Uh, and then they treat it that way and then it doesn't get better. And what they don't realize is the, the, the first problem was that it wasn't actually what they were told. It was similar to Lisa's daughter who we spoke to earlier with the carpal tunnel in the wrist. The, it's just, you know, when you when you see a patient, and, and Lisa highlighted this, that when I saw her, uh, her daughter or her mom, I spend a considerable amount of time. You have to. You have to do that detective work. We're moving in a way in healthcare where we're so reliant on blood work, special imaging, Mm -hmm. that we're forgetting that the clinical acumen of the practitioner is probably the most important part where you rule in and rule things out just based on hearing someone. Uh, And so that's where I spend a lot of time is talking because as you hear symptoms and you start to see signs, it starts to paint a picture for you. And as you paint that picture, you can be more confident. But too many times I hear of these experiences where someone goes to see even a specialist, you know, and they're in their for two minutes and and then they're out and they're told something how can anybody within that short amount of time be so certain on what it could or could not be now i'm not saying that that doesn't happen Uh, you know there's been times where even after i talk to somebody for a few minutes i know but i keep talking because i want to make sure i want to figure it out and and i think that's the biggest thing is that you're not going to get shortchanged on the time and i can't say that it's for sure an hour that it's an hour and a half i'll say that it's on average an hour that I spend with everybody, sometimes maybe a little bit quicker if it's not as complex, but if it is very complex, I've been with patients for two hours and that doesn't change the price. It's $45. That's all we're talking about is 45 bucks 
to see me and and get peace of mind and get the the answers that maybe you need, or at the very least, get pointed in the right direction. It's, it's like a mechanic. I mean, so much stuff is diagnosed through computers now, but there's still those guys who can get up on a hoist yep, and spot exactly. stuff. You, they and, just and, know. And that's something you'll never be able to replace. No. That acumen, whether it's a mechanic or a doctor, it's just something about that person who can put together knowledge uh, using their head that's good, that's I think is very, very special. Uh, Joy, I'll get you in here uh, very quickly before we take a break. What's going on with you? Hi, my name is Joy. And I, have, I went to the Emerge um, yesterday because I had a fall in the ice, in the win- on the ice during the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to go for the same emergency for to take see what's wrong, if this, any bone is breaking, has break, broken. So the doctor who attended to me said he didn't see anything. But he gave me medication and tell me to see my personal physician. Right. So it started acting up again in, inside the knee. And under the knee keeps keep sticking me. Okay. And then the, the foot is swollen when I'm supposed to get off my bed. Mm-hmm. I can't walk. Okay. And it's just excruciating pain. Right. Excruciating pain. So I went to the emergency yesterday t- thinking that the lady would have um, x-rayed me. They didn't. They just said I have, a, I spell it for you. T-E-N-D-I-N-O-P-A-T-H-Y, like tendinopathy or something. Oh, tendinopathy. Yeah. So, so Joy, let me just understand. In the winter, you slipped, uh, and yes. you went to the emergency room right away, or yesterday was the first time? No, I went right away. Right. And that time, everything was fine, and now you've gone again. So yes. the one thing that I can tell you is this is, and going back to the way we started the show and the, and the proper use of the system— Yes. There was likely no reason for you to have to go to an emergency room yesterday. There's other better places you could have gone because... My doctor is not here. He's away. Yeah, there's urgent care clinics, walking clinics, things that are more designed for this type of thing. Because there could be someone who's having, you know, a a heart attack or a stroke, and that's extremely Mm -hmm. life-threatening. So that's number one. I want to highlight that, that it's very important. And I'm not blaming you. I actually think... The, the problem is that we as professionals and we as a healthcare system have not educated the it's public systematic. on this. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's within the system that the problem is. And so, unfortunately, people like you and, and the average person don't actually know what to do. But in an issue like that, you know, there's other better places or even another chiropractor or physiotherapist. But they likely didn't x-ray you because they, they looked at the case when they triage a patient in an emergency. They look at how serious is this, and they, they probably very quickly saw, well, this is nothing that needs to be in an emergency room. And so they've just suggested you go back to your family doctor and let that primary care physician or whatever primary care professional that you go see, like a chiropractor or a physiotherapist, let them deal with the diagnostic component. So is maybe an x-ray warranted? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, it depends. We You have to kind of, with, when it comes to the musculoskeletal system, um, you know, the imaging modalities that are ordered should first be determined on what types of physical tests are coming up positive and negative. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is probably something that can be figured out just by someone who's very good at assessing the musculoskeletal system. Give us a call. We'll help you find that person. Appreciate that call, Joy. one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. It's info at paincarecanada.com. You want to drop an email and call us here today as well for the next 15 or a little less than 20 minutes from now. 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. More your calls when we come back after a short break. Talk radio, AM 640. It is 1244, yeah, 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. The Dr. Payne Show will get to you right now. Uh, Darcy, sorry, my eyes, I get my eyes checked. The screen's <laughs> a foot from my face. Darcy, how you doing, pal? Uh, not too bad. 
That's what happens when we get old. Yeah, right. Yeah, I hear you, buddy. Um, I overheard uh, the, a couple of callers ago talking about plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm an uh, HVAC technician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing it since 85. And uh, as you can tell, I'm in my I'm 56. Okay. I also play a lot of uh, slow pitch competitive. And about seven weeks ago, um, I was running and hit a bag funny. And I thought, oh, I didn't break anything. But my ankle, the under pad, the heel, right. was very, very sore. And I thought, okay, you hit it funny. You probably bruised it. So well for, you know, a few weeks, four weeks, I thought, okay, yeah, it's feeling a little better. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I played again, and this time running, rounding a base, I was running, and I felt a pop. Mm. And the pain was excruciating in the bottom of my heel. Right. So um, I had a, a few guys I've played many years ball with, and he says, that's plantar fasciitis. Okay. So I I do visit my chiropractor regularly, mm-hmm. and uh, she examined me and move the foot around very painful but she says if you're able to walk you you don't have a break per se so i've been getting treatments and seems to have helped and like the uh, lady before mornings uh the pain in my ankle or bottom of my heel Mm -hmm. very sore so i have been doing exercises uh stretching to try and walk right so she said you should get to 90% better. It won't be 100, and, and I've started wearing uh, gels in my work boots. Okay. Seems to help. Okay. And when I'm not in my work boots, I, I wear Crocs because they're very spongy, mm-hmm. and and I find that really helps. But it doesn't – it's getting better, but it's not. So right. I was just curious if that's uh, the issue. Yeah, so curious. so what, I, what I'll say for sure is that – the fact that you reported hearing a pop, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, yeah. And that for me would likely warrant that maybe some imaging is at the very least, um, you know, prudent just to make sure that, you know, something didn't snap because you can have things snapping. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. Now e- you can even have minor breaks when your chiropractor says, if you had a break, you wouldn't be able to walk. That's not necessarily true. If you had a very big fracture that was very bad, you wouldn't be able to walk. But a minor fracture uh, somewhere, you could still likely walk but have pain. So uh, I would think that the fact that you've given it a good course of treatment, the fact that there was a pop um, and and all those things as you paint the picture for me, I would say right off the bat, maybe an x-ray and even an ultrasound is not a bad idea uh, just to make sure that, you know, there's nothing else there that could mimic those types of symptoms. Uh, But, you know, I would say that based on what I'm hearing, that would have been my um, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that I would have necessarily ordered imaging on day one or suggested that it should be mm-hmm. done, but definitely after a period of time, as you're, you know, you're getting better, but if it's still lingering, it might be worth 
uh, further investigation with two very simple modalities, which is just x-ray to, to check out the bones and an ultrasound just to check out the soft tissues. That's it. Um, and, and then go from there and, and see, you know, hopefully there's nothing, nothing surprising and they'll come back absolutely negative and that's great. And then you just keep doing the treatment as is, but, um, you, you would, I, I would say if, it, if you were my patient right now, uh, even after the short bit that I've heard, I would say that those two things are, are warranted at this point. Okay. So, uh, with my, um, I know my chiropractor can get the, uh, x-ray, right. um, would she also be able to uh, be able to get imaging done as well? I'm I, sure. I don't think she'll be able to get the ultrasound done. So um, it's my GP. I have to go in. Yeah, and I and if you're going to do okay. that, I would say just go to the GP and get both, both the X-ray and the ultrasound instead of having it from two different people. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then maybe just bring help. the results to the chiropractor after, just so uh, she can take a look at it and treat accordingly. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I thank you for your help. And no gentlemen, problem. great show. Thank you. Darcy, really uh, appreciate that. We'll take a uh, short break here, get into more of your calls. We've got wide open lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. The Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. So got a few minutes here if you want to call in, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Can you can you cure plantar fasciitis, plantar, uh, plantar fasciitis for good, or is it just treatable? No, it's, no you should be able to get it down to... Um, you know, there are cases, yeah, you get it down to absolute zero pain. Mm. Uh, I guess whenever I hear the term cure, it means that you'll never have it again. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, if you experience plantar fasciitis once in your life and you're able to quote-unquote cure it, and then a few years later you may experience it again, that's just common. As you injure one area of the body, that same injury becomes more likely uh, in the future. But de- definitely with the right treatment and the right protocol, it's overall not a very difficult thing to treat. Um, sometimes it could be stubborn. And again, this all depends on other factors, right? This is why it's very hard to always say in absolutes because not everyone's the same. So there's different prognostic factors. Sometimes you have people with plantar fasciitis who are extremely overweight. And, and so unless they change that part, then it keeps reoccurring. Right, right, right. Uh, sometimes you may have that they have other comorbidities going on. And, if, and unless those things are under control, then those things. So it's very complex to just say that uh, yes or no in absolutes, but as a general rule, it is something that is very, very treatable for sure. Do you, do you, would you generally suggest that once you've got it down to a point where you're close to, if not pain-free, just keep doing the exercises every day to keep it, to keep it at bay? Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I get, and again, I think it depends on exactly the overall presentation, but I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, depending on what the source of the problem is too. Um, you know, sometimes we have to understand there's a fascial link from the plantar fasciitis to the calves, to the hamstrings, to the low back. Uh, so sometimes it could just be due to tight fascia. So maybe continuing to do stretches in your legs are very important. It really depends on why it happened. So the diagnosis and then what the etiology of it was, how it came about. Omar, good call. How are you, pal? What's, uh, what's going on with you? You're on the air. Hey, how are you? Good. What's uh, what's going on with you? Plantar, fascia, uh, plantar fasciitis, right? I do, I do. Yeah, sad day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so I um, I broke my leg uh, a few years back uh, playing basketball. Uh, it was my uh, my fibula bone that snapped, and uh, I was bedridden for you know as you could imagine a few months. I gained about fifty pounds, and uh, I'm slowly now starting to work back, but. Uh, through that process, I'm guessing that's the reason because before I never had any sort of pain on on the bottom uh, of my foot. Right. And uh, you know, it's 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 pretty hard when I play basketball now. 
uh, you know, the day after, I can really feel pain on the bottom of my foot. It's sometimes so much pain that I can uh, I can barely step on my uh, on my foot. You know, right. step down. Yeah. So I would say, Omar, for sure, um, you're a good example of what I was just saying, where fascial adhesions and things like that can lead to tightness in the plantar fascia. Likely, your source of problem is not exactly the bottom of the foot, but maybe related to, like you said, your other injury uh, and then the compensation factor and those things. Um, but again, in order for me to know exactly what the comp- what the compensation is, where the injury was, all those things, I need to assess you. And then from there, we can make uh, recommendations. But Definitely after you've had such, um, you know, a trauma to your body uh, to experience pain in, in relevant and surrounding areas after that trauma is not going to be surprising. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that that has to be the norm. There are things that you can do that you can always do things to keep your pain levels at bay. Even if you're a chronic pain sufferer, there's right. things out there as long as you're willing to do them. And that's the very, uh, I guess, important point there. We'll get to uh, John in Richmond Hill. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, good, uh, Dr. Liu. Yes. I um, had a freakish thing happen with my index finger. I was adjusting the wheels of my lawnmower. Uh, somehow it got bent. I describe it almost as if uh, the knuckle was dislocated as the finger was kind of pointing in a, a direction it wouldn't normally point. Mm. Popped it back. Got you. Didn't think much of it. Uh, I still have full range of motion. Um, that was three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I compare my hand to my other hand, it still looks a little bit puffy, not really swollen, but a little puffy around that knuckle. Yeah. Um, I'm 50. I used to heal really quick and really well. Is this just an age thing or is this something where I should potentially go in and have it looked at because, um, I'm still feeling pain there so many months later. Uh, even though I've got that full range of motion. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely would say it's not an age thing because you popped your, like the finger was actually, it sounds like it was dislocated. So it's due to trauma. Um, and it's, you know, the you, what you did is not very different than what they would have done at an emergency room. In all honesty, they would have just popped it back. Having said that, you have someone who understands anatomy popping it back versus when you do it yourself uh, may not be the best idea, but you can't go back into the past. It is what it is. But that doesn't mean that right now, I would definitely say right now at this point, yeah, getting it checked out, some x-rays just to take a look at it. Could there be a small fracture in there, a dislocation, something? Could it be capsular in nature? There's there's a couple of different things that could have happened, but I don't think it's something that you have to uh, just live with. I think uh, someone who knows what they're doing takes a look at it. Even if there's um, some light treatment intervention, you'll likely be able to get better uh, relatively quick. So a, a little bit of a follow-up. I yeah. have a uh, an elbow, and I only bring this up because it's a, a it's another joint. Mm-hmm. where I'm feeling like when I sleep and I get up, I've got pain there. And then even through the day, I, I feel that there's something going on with that with that elbow to the point where even when I try to pick up, let's say, a two-liter bottle of pop or something, I really struggle. Is it on the same uh, side as the finger, the same elbow? No, it's, no. A, it's the different arm. But what I'm thinking is, is there some sort of connection where there might be something going on with my joints, the onset of arthritis? Yeah, I mean, those are never, and that's what I mean. That's why the 
the assessment is so important in terms of the diagnostic process because, yeah, anytime you have multiple joint issues, you have to consider something maybe like autoimmune uh, that could be attacking the joints. Again, though, we know that there was trauma in the finger, so we definitely know what's causing the finger pain. Um, if there's stuff going on elsewhere, we have to figure out, could it be something else? Uh, could it just be like you said, old age and things are starting to happen? Yes, but that doesn't mean you have to live with it. Uh, come give us a call and we'll connect, uh, you know, off air and we'll, we'll get you, uh, the right people to take a look at all this. Out of time for this week, back in next Sunday. In the meantime, one 855 doctor Lou, D-R-L-O-U or info at paincarecanada.com through email and Dr. Lou on social as well. Till next Sunday, the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM640.